0: When we look at the emotional intelligence research on the youngest generation, we would expect the younger generations to have lower levels of EQ. However, they are significantly lower in the centennials in three key areas. And I see this every day in my work in organizations. And those three areas are independence, problem solving and stress tolerance. So that sort of independent thinking and working is really lacking the ability to analytically solve problems. So I think the younger generations are great for getting lots of data and finding information, but actually critically analyzing that and problem solving is a real gap. And the third and you know, perhaps the most significant issue is the low levels of stress tolerance and the lack of resilience.
1: I'm John Fitzgerald, host of the CORD podcast. I'm curious about the changing world of work. I want to have conversations that will help us all become future ready. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the CORD podcast. We're at the end of 2022 and my last guest for the year is Mary Collins. And we're going to be talking about minding the generational gap mary collins was mary collins when i met her first back in 2006 we were involved in setting up the association for coaching in ireland and since then mary has become dr mary collins she is a chartered psychologist author and executive coach with over 20 years experience in the field of leadership development and talent management mary is currently a senior executive development specialist with the royal college of surgeons institute of leadership Mary's doctoral thesis specifically looked at the psychological contract in relation to engagement and retention strategies for high potential graduates, Gen Y. And since then, Mary has been doing a huge amount of research and study and speaking on the multi-generational workforce. She's been involved in three books, Managing Smart People and Other Professionals, in 2014, recruiting talented people in 2020 in association with the Chartered Accountants of Ireland. And now she's just starting another book, which is Emotional Intelligence and Dentistry. So Mary is a busy woman. Welcome to the podcast, Mary.
0: Thanks so much, John. It is great to be here. I'm feeling quite old now when you mentioned 2006,
1: (laughs) which is quite a few years ago now. Yes, indeed. And we hadn't met for many years and uh, we've both come in different directions since then. And uh, I'm at the higher end of the Gen X (laughs) age-wise and you're (laughs) at the younger end of the Gen X. (laughs) So I suppose before all of that, Mary, I always start the podcast with a little deep coaching question, which is about your younger formative years, your influences and values you believed you gained from growing up.
0: Yes. Well, John, talk about a deep psychological question on a Friday morning. But no, it's a great question to ask, actually. And just reflecting on it, I think my most formative experience was when I was six years old. And I'm the oldest of four. My mum became very, very ill and was in hospital for long periods. So at that young age, I ended up I guess, shouldering a lot of responsibility and almost in a parental type role at a very young age. So that experience, I think, affected me deeply in two ways. One, I think my interest in coaching and mentoring really stems back from that time. And I guess one thing I really have to watch is that parental style even in the workplace. So the nurturing parent have to keep that under control (laughs) and also the critical parent. So that has, I think, shaped me. I had to really learn a lot of influencing skills and develop social intelligence at a very young age. But the second and probably most profound impact of my mum's illness, which culminated in her having kidney failure. So my mum is actually on her third kidney transplant. Wow. And her last transplant was the night before my 21st birthday, which is not today or yesterday. so. (laughs) So thankfully, she's doing fantastically well. And that really ignited in me a deep respect for healthcare professionals and that sense of purpose around the work and really drew me into working in the Royal College of Surgeons and working with amazing clinicians and healthcare professionals as part of my role now. So I think that purpose piece is very, very strong around healthcare.
1: Isn't that really interesting? You see so many people who've been impacted by illness and for whatever reason, their career path moves them into some form of caring or healthcare. It's a fantastic foundational story to where you are today, Mary. And and you progressed your career through Aircom and Deloitte and HR roles, and you're moving from corporate world, professional services with Deloitte to the Royal College of Surgeons then and doing your doctorate. What was the spark behind that?
0: Yeah, well, I'm really passionate about education, John, and I think education is a real enabler for career change and transition. And all of my working life, I have studied in parallel. (laughs) And, you know, for me, it is around refining. And, you know, I started off with a very broad-based business degree, then did the master's in education and training management, uh, then did my CIPD qualification. So refining and refining all along. And I'm delighted to say, I think I've found my home now, which is coaching psychology. (laughs) I'm very comfortable in that space. And it really is a culmination of, you know, all of the knowledge, skills and experience over the last 20 years. Um, Leaving Deloitte sort of a heavy corporate job, and I have to say, I learned so much in my seven years as talent manager in Deloitte. It was definitely time. I was feeling that urge around the, the purpose and meaning just to work within the health profession. And I have to say, I really, really get huge fulfillment working out in the hospital system. I actually really like working in the hospital system. And, you know, God knows it's been just an absolute roller coaster the last few years in that particular sector.
1: Yeah, and you meet all generations over there, and the multi generational workforce is our topic today. So, what key changes have you seen in your time since you've been involved in studying and researching the multi generational workforce?
0: Yes, well, this topic fascinates me. <laughs> and really, the last 10 years, I have been researching and writing about the multi generational workplace because it is throwing up significant challenges. sectorally. I have my own business psychology practice as well, and I work in many different sectors around supporting organisations to deal with the challenges of the multi-generational workplace and also the opportunities it presents. Mm. So it's very exciting, you know, in most large organisations, we have three, four, if not five generations all working together. And to be honest, John, when I started on this road with my doctoral research in Deloitte back in 2006, I started my doctoral studies. I really thought the millennials will settle in, bed into organisations and this will go away. (laughs) But absolutely the opposite has happened. And we now have another powerful young generation, Generation Z or the centennials born mid to late 90s who, again, have their own nuances and require a different approach, I think, to get the best from the generation, the young generations. We do need to flex and adapt our style. So the changes I've seen, I think, particularly over the last five years, the younger generations, I think they're bringing huge positive change to the workplace. For example, on the work-life balance front, we know work is just one part of their lives and they really set very clear boundaries around work and life. Um, equally been really savvy and smart around using technology in the workplace. And I think this passion for learning and growing their skills and developing, and they're demanding that now in organisations. How can I really develop myself here? I'm not going to be with you for long, but when I'm with you, (laughs) how can I develop myself?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, before we came on the call this morning, I had a session with an educational institution and they working with them on their strategic plan and facilitating that with the leadership team. And uh, the comment was made in the call. They asked me, what am I finding in our work across organisations? And I said, mental health is a real challenge around where we are at the moment. Oh, they're lazy. This is an excuse. They want to stay at home. They don't want to work like us. And it was very much a black and white answer from somebody my own age. I was, you know, taken aback and and kind of, are people really listening to the younger generation? And this is something that I'm seeing all of the time, this tension between the generation like me in my 50s and the newer generation. So how are people overcoming that? And I know you're involved in emotional intelligence as well, and, and this requires a lot of emotional intelligence.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, John, because as you mentioned, we know from the research, the two generations that tend to clash the most in the workplace are Gen X and Gen Y. So Gen X and Gen Y or millennials, those terms are interchangeable.
1: So, just give us an indication then of the multi generational workforce, Mary, and the ages. You speak of Gen X and Gen Y and Gen Z, just to put it into ages that we're dealing with here and the tensions, obviously, that are coming between those different generations.
0: Yes, absolutely, John. And it is confusing. There's so much out there, you know, Gen Z, millennials, Gen Y. <laughs> so, it can be very confusing. So when we consider the millennials, and millennials are the largest cohort in the workplace. So by 2025, it's estimated 75% of the global workforce will be millennial. And they are born from 1980 up to the mid-90s. So really that age group we're talking about late 20s, 30s. And then our Gen Xers were born from 1965 up to 1980. So they're people in their 40s and 50s. And interestingly, Gen X and Gen Y are the two generations that tend to clash the most in the workplace. And often we have Gen Xers managing Gen Y. So because even though they're the closest in terms of birth years, their formative experiences are so different. And even, you know, one of the most fundamental factors around that, we have digital natives, the millennials versus the digital immigrants. So those of us, you and I, dare I say it, John, who remember life before mobile phones, before the web, it was a very different world we grew up in. Whereas the millennials and the centennials, one of the defining factors is that instant gratification. So you want information, you know, you have it at your fingertips. Google Maps, there you go. And they have grown up in a world where a much more privileged upbringing, particularly in the Western world, more highly educated. And the other factor that's really influenced a lot of the behaviours we see in the workplace is the helicopter parenting phenomena. So (laughs) the younger generations tend to grow up with parents who literally hover over them My colleague, uh, Dr. Yolanta Burke in RCSI, she talks about the snowplow parents. You know, I will prepave the way, remove all the obstacles for you. You're being bullied. I'm down at the school gates. I'm dealing with all of your issues. And sadly, with the snowplow or the helicopter parents, we're not allowing children to build their resilience and to build those qualities and skills to support them in dealing with adversity later in life.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because I was speaking with Siobhan Scanlon, who looks after the graduate career development and recruitment in Musgrave. And I asked her about what education needs to do for the younger generation. And she said, give them opportunities to fail, to build that resilience. Yeah. And it's just so important. And another key insight that I got from that interview was their head of insight and innovation, at Dale Russell, talked and created a youth board to shadow the Musgrave board and to pick a topic and allow them the diversity and the insight to be able to share knowledge back to the board because they are their future customers, the, the younger generation. And the other point I'd make on that, whether it's snowplow parenting or helicopter parenting, is actually Gen X that are doing that. We're the parents absolutely. that are doing that. Yes. And then when they come into the workplace, it's like, we don't want you. <laughs> We've reared you, you know, we're the products of our parenting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of overcompensation, I think, by Gen X parents. You know, I didn't get the love and the affection or even the toys or the gifts. So now I'm going to overcompensate with my children. So, yeah, that's very interesting, that example of allowing people to fail. Because when we look at the emotional intelligence research on the youngest generation, we would expect the younger generations to have lower levels of EQ. However, they are significantly lower in the centennials in three key areas. And I see this every day in my work in organisations. And those three areas are independence, problem solving and stress tolerance. So that sort of independent thinking and working is really lacking the ability to analytically solve problems. So I think the younger generations are great for getting lots of data and finding information, but actually critically analysing that and problem solving is a real gap. And the third and, you know, perhaps the most significant issue is the low levels of stress tolerance and the lack of resilience. You know, one of the key messages, if you do, people listening, um, do have a lot of the younger generation, a lot of graduates coming in. It is really supporting their well-being has to be
1: top of the agenda. I want to ask you a quick question. Is your organisation going through unprecedented growth, restructuring or change? At Harmonix, through our consultancy and coaching work with business and HR leaders, we face one common challenge, the overwhelming pace of change and not enough time or resources to properly reset to become future fit. If you would like to register for a free diagnostic session with one of our team of experts, go to harmonix.ie to get in touch today. Now, back to the podcast. And I suppose that that comes from getting agreement at the leadership level that this is something we should be investing in. And have you seen examples of trying to influence SLTs around this conversation so that they don't dismiss it as, well, sure, they're the lazy young generation?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I see a lot of pushback, as you say, from Gen X and baby boomer generation. And a lot of stereotyping. Oh, they've no work ethic and (laughs) they're just on their phones all the time. But really to influence SLTs, it's about looking at the pain points. So I'm working with a lot of smaller organisations that just cannot retain their younger generation. So they're training people for two or three years and then they're gone. And it's deeply frustrating So it is about how can we get the best from the younger generations when they're with us and acknowledging that they are going to move. I mean, some of the studies are suggesting centennials will change jobs 17 times in their working lives. So for me, it's about, okay, how can we get the best from the generations when they're with us and get them to stay perhaps a little bit longer But I also think we need to manage exits better when people do leave, that they leave in a very positive way. And that whole concept of the boomerang employee. I know during my time in Deloitte, we had a lot of very successful case studies of people maybe going off to Australia or Canada and we stay in touch with them and then they come back and bring all that experience and life experience with them as well. So I think we need to get a lot better at managing exits.
1: You know, we're seeing it now post-Covid that people who didn't travel for the last few years are just all gone on a plane. And as you say, gone to Australia, Canada and many different countries around the world. And our healthcare system is struggling as a result of it. Yes. Um, You know, it is this idea of an alumni really as much as a boomerang because those people influence others in where they're going to work. And I think that's the impact of the digital native, you know, at a fingertip, they can influence somebody. Whereas before the information was all hoarded and and kept in the organisation, whereas now nothing is sacred anymore.
0: Absolutely. And I think you're so right, John. It is, And the peer recommendations are so key with the younger generations. And that's why we're seeing, you know, Glassdoor.com, platforms like that are really successful. because there's nowhere to hide anymore. (laughs) And, you know, people are very open about sharing their experiences of working in different cultures.
1: So you mentioned independence, problem solving and stress tolerance as something that's showing up for the younger generation. What about my generation and the challenges they're having going through this? And have you seen anything to support the older workforce, if I (laughs) want to call myself that? Well, yeah, it is
0: quite interesting that an older worker technically is somebody over 45, which (laughs) makes me feel very old. So the Gen X, that sort of sandwich generation, I think, has been hugely impacted over the last few years. So Gen X are the smallest generation, so sandwiched literally between the huge baby boomers on one side and the millennial cohort on the other. But equally, they are under huge pressure in life because I'm sure you're seeing this as well, John, more and more of this generation having to deal with sick elderly parents and perhaps childcare issues, dealing with teenagers in the home. So a huge strain on this particular generation. And I do think support is needed around managing that particular life stage. And organisations need to be very cognizant and, and allowing flexibility. I think this generation, particularly working mothers, have been really craving flexibility. And COVID certainly allowed us to have that. However, my concern working in different organisations is as now we're starting to return to the office. I think it is the minority groups and in particular women as well who are the ones that are staying in the home more, working from home. And my concern is that they are going to miss out on the decision making, the influencing, even the visibility around the office. So I think there's lots of challenges for that Gen X group and they do tend to get forgotten. I think we focus a lot of our energies on the younger generations and how we can get the best from them. But equally, I think we need to really harness and leverage the skills of older workers. I'm very passionate about baby boomers. So coming up to retirement, a lot of negative perceptions in the workplace. So Ashridge did a study on boomers and it was very negative. You know, they're sort of cruising towards retirement, lacking creativity. These are the general perceptions of boomers, you know, clocking in, clocking out. And then when they surveyed the boomers, the boomers themselves were saying, you know, I've never felt more comfortable in my own skin. Um, All of those childcare issues I had in my 30s and 40s, I don't have them anymore. I have space. I want to really make an impact. I want to mentor. I want to give back to the organization. So I think we really need to leverage the strengths of the boomer, the older workers as well.
1: That's a huge point and uh, it's going back to that coaching framework and engaging with them on a level that they have something really valuable to offer. It was interesting when you were talking about sick elderly parents there, I buried both my parents in the last three years and I got a call last night from another lady who knew that we had a Filipino home care for my parents and uh, she was incredibly stressed uh, because her mother had fallen the week before, she was in two weeks respite in a nursing home and they were having a family meeting and could they get something emergency you know the whole fear of wanting to support but then not wanting to put their mother into a nursing home like this was clothing her whole life she was somebody who was just in a really nervous emotional state but it happens so fast when those things happen um you mentioned female leaders there, and you've been involved in developing female leaders globally. So what do you see as the main barriers to female career progression? And you mentioned there about not being close to the action if you're working from home or working flexibly. What have you seen in your practical work with female leaders?
0: Yeah, Well, this is the highlight of my working life every year, John, is a women in leadership program I run in the Middle East with a good colleague, and we've been doing it now for the last eight years. And it's so interesting because the issues I see in the Middle East are exactly the same as the ones I see here in Ireland. It's almost like I think the challenges for women in leadership, they're borderless, you know? And typically, apart from the constraints we've already spoken about, I think for working parents and flexibility and for women who do decide to become mothers and take time out of their careers. I think, you know, aside from those challenges, there are significant challenges around self-doubt and imposter syndrome, which sadly millennial females are exhibiting very high levels of imposter syndrome as well. So it's not going anywhere. (laughs) And of course, we know men experience imposter syndrome, but it's estimated about 88% of senior female executives experience that feeling of being a fraud or, uh, you know, luck got them there. Somebody's going to find me out. These very highly self-critical thoughts on a very regular basis.
1: And is there anything on why women are more self-critical and self-doubt themselves?
0: I mean, it's very complex. I think there's a whole host of socio-cultural reasons behind that. But we do know that women do lack self-confidence compared to men. So men typically report higher levels of confidence. Women also report higher levels of empathy. And in some ways, I think they're connected. I think women tend to be high in agreeableness and want to give a lot to their, you know, their families, their work. And what I see in my work, John, is I don't think women assert and look after their own needs. Okay. So that lack of self-compassion, really. I see women giving in all aspects of their life, but that self-care and self-compassion is often lacking. So what I notice around women in leadership is certainly I think women tend to be very good at managing teams in general terms, but it's the managing upwards and the influencing upwards and the visibility piece. So that's certainly something and networking as well.
1: Yeah, and I've definitely seen that around even helping people take the career stock take. Females, in taking a career stock taking. is this the right move for me? That's definitely what I've seen in my work is, you know, they might be going for promotion. And do I truly believe I can make it? Or is this the right thing for me at this time in my life because of family commitments or whatever? You know, I don't know if you've seen that as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to focus just on mothers, but, you know, I did my psychology thesis on the reintegration of women post-maternity leave. And I mean, that tends to be handled so badly from the moment a woman announces she's pregnant. Yeah. And the horror stories I heard in my research, you know, like you've got these really senior executives, usually male, you know, putting their head in their hands and saying all sorts of the wrong things (laughs) but really the important thing is I think when a woman comes back and it's almost like you need an onboarding or a reorientation because a lot of senior women now are taking the full year we would have seen that a lot of management consultancy so you know it is important to put those supports in place for women so they can ramp back up again quickly.
1: That's really interesting, because even just three days ago, my colleague had a session with a lady who was on a workshop we did, and uh, the focus of her coaching session was all about coming back into the workplace and not feeling that she was adding value and was actually trying too hard, which was forcing certain behaviours, which had come across as too direct, because she was trying to overcompensate for being out of the workforce for a year. So really fascinating stuff. Um, I just wanted to touch on your Motivate framework. I think it's a lovely framework. I know there's quite a number of elements to it. But just bring us through it briefly, if you wouldn't mind, and how that helps people.
0: Yeah, sure, John. So I would describe myself as a pracademic. (laughs) So I'm all about, you know, the practical application of the research and the theories. And when I was working through my doctoral studies, I had over 500 millennials or Gen Y in the study. I looked at engineers, lawyers and accountants. And the essence of the study was how can we engage and get the best from this powerful young generation in the workplace? So it culminated in a framework that I developed, and I've shared a short article, and please feel free if anyone would like to get a copy of it, um, the Motivate Framework. So just in brief, what that framework is, the core elements of engagement for millennials. So I took all of the studies that were out there, and then also my own research on the 500 young professionals. And the starting point in the framework is meaning and purpose. So now more than ever, the younger generations want, through their workplace, to find that meaning and purpose in their lives. So how is what I'm doing every day connected to the bigger picture, the greater good? And one of the real positives of the younger generations, like sustainability, the environment, huge for them. Diversity and inclusion, again, bringing huge positive change around that. So that's that whole meaning and purpose piece. Then opportunity for feedback, challenging assignments. Again, those stretch assignments, really important. The T is timely, honest feedback. So the whole sort of biannual reviews, not good enough, not going to cut it. (laughs) Just in time, you know, very, very regular feedback. Then we have interest in personal career paths. And that is almost taking that parental type role with the younger generations and taking that real interest in where their career is going. In fact, in one of the interviews I did with this bright young engineer, he said to me, I expect my manager to sit down with me every two weeks and ask me, how are you feeling about your career now? Are you happy with your career journey? (laughs) So that was his expectation. Then we have values. You know, the values piece is really key. And that's where that whole corporate social responsibility needs to be really woven in, not just sort of the one day a year, put the t shirt on and go painting. And the attentive management, I mean, that's the number one, even in the studies on the youngest generation, the number one factor they're looking for in the workplace is supportive leadership. Leaders who care about my well being, who care about my career, my development. And then where am I on the framework now? Terms and conditions, huge. Now, bearing in mind that it's a hygiene factor, you know, I need to be feel I'm being paid fairly, but that is not going to really engage and retain me. And then the E is for energy management. So that's where the work life comes into it. If I want to take my laptop and go and work on a beach in Ibiza, (laughs) if the role allows it, you know, let me go and let me off and I will perform and you will have my full engagement and loyalty. So it is working with the individual around their needs, their motivations, their drives.
1: It's fantastic and reading through it and I'm going to link your article, Rising Stars, uh, how to engage and develop Generation Y as part of the podcast, if you're happy with that, Mary, because I think for any leader or manager who is just to sit down and to think about the person they're going to have a conversation with and reflect on those eight different headings, I think would be hugely beneficial. So Mary, you've shared loads of information and I'm finally going to talk to some quick fire questions that I normally put in at the end. What book you'd most recommend?
0: Oh, well, John, the book I'm currently reading is Brené Brown's Atlas of the Heart. It's a beautiful book, even in terms of the illustrations, it is just fab. But I love Brené Brown's work on vulnerability. And this is all around developing our emotional intelligence and really how can we form those strong human connections. So highly recommend Atlas of the Heart. And it looks lovely on your coffee table as well.
1: (laughs) Very good. A nice nice red Christmas present on your table there. (laughs) the podcast if you listen to some that you'd recommend
0: feel better live more it's dr J. it's actually the number one um health podcast in europe um really really great advice on all the pillars of lifestyle medicine for us to really maximize our energy and our fulfillment in the world so that's one of my top ones john
1: It was introduced to me recently and uh, I listened to Bruce Lipton and I absolutely love the type of guests he has and they're long podcasts but uh, fantastic stuff and I think it's really targeted at the world we live in today not just to be working hard like maybe the messages I might have got or you might have got growing up but to, to live better and to feel better. The best advice ever given to you in life? Ooh,
0: well, I'm going to tie this back to my women in leadership work. And this is a quote from Madeleine Albright. There is a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. <laughs> So I think we need to, you know, put the ladder down for other young women. We really need to support each other. And that's something I'm really conscious of. And I love working with young women to support them and their career development.
1: Fantastic. You'll never be accused of that anyway, Mary. (laughs) If you had to name one person that motivates and inspires you, who would that be?
0: I would say one of my former students from More CSI, Dr. Mai Al-Swedd, is an incredible paediatric surgeon. Um, she's based in Saudi, in Jeddah, and she is doing such phenomenal work, particularly with the young female surgeons coming through in the Middle East. She's a wonderful role model and somebody that inspires me every time I meet her.
1: Brilliant, Mary, you couldn't have ended it better in saying a wonderful role model. You've been a wonderful role model for lots of women I know who you've touched and impacted throughout your life. And uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed the insights and uh, there's loads of takeaways there for any leader who's engaging in managing different generations. We're all people who need to compassion, empathy, caring, and we all need support in our lives. Thank you very much, Mary.
0: Thank you so much, John. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today.
1: Thanks for listening to The Core today. We would really appreciate if you could follow, subscribe and share as we seek to grow our community of listeners. Speak again soon.